It was great. It's just such a good reminder that there are times that just don't go as well as other times. I am so glad to be with you this morning, at this moment, on this day. I noticed there's snow up on Pikes Peak this morning. I noticed, I know, isn't that beautiful? I noticed on the tree out front there are little blossoms of some sort, little fruit. Last weekend, this community enjoyed a couple of weddings. Pure joy and laughter and hope and promise, the consecration of a new thing, a new life, rebirth and commitment. On most Sundays, we see the children running in uh, the Fillmore house next to us. We see their laughter and their joy. And we think of the time when we were children. We think of the future that they will have that we are not invited to. We will not be there for that. But it will be their path alone. Their growth, their struggle, their liberation. We think of our past and their future, and we are full of a kind of contentment, a kind of peace. Their laughter is our hope. Their joy brings us joy. We see the new sign out front that says Unity Campus. Ben Broadbent, who used to be at First Congregational, my good, good friend, spent the weekend with me last weekend. Our families were together. And I came by and I showed him the sign and um, just proudly said, look at what's happening. High Plains Church, Unity Spiritual Center. We didn't know this would be our new dynamic, even six months ago. Certainly not six years ago. They were somewhere else doing their thing. We were here, and now our paths converge. For how long? Who knows? Today we come together for a few moments, and we say, let us toast to new beginnings. Let us toast to rebirth. Let us toast to the impermanence of life and its beauty and its power, its possibility, its hope. Here we are right now, and it is precious. This moment right now is precious. We don't need to recall the highs or lows of the past. We don't need to plan for our future. Not right now. We're just invited to be fully alive, fully present right now. I bring up the children. I bring up the new dynamic with these two congregations coming together. I bring up the weddings to start us off on a simple idea. All things are impermanent. Change happens. We know this week that we experienced the death and funerals of three giants. Neil Simon, the playwright, Senator John McCain, and um, Aretha Franklin. They did church at that funeral. We were reminded, we were riveted as a nation, we were reminded that things don't last forever. We won't last forever. And even as we inhabit these physical bodies, these crazy physical bodies of ours, we're constantly in change. Impermanence is all about us. And in that is the seed of possibility. Because of impermanence, anything is possible. That's how we start out this morning with that simple idea. It is a fitting lesson because our, 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 our mystic and master for today and this month is Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist teacher, the Buddhist monk, 
one of the great ambassadors of nonviolence in our time. He said, thanks to impermanence, everything is possible. Life itself is possible. If a grain of corn is not impermanent, it can never be transformed into a stalk of corn. If the stalk were not impermanent, it could never provide us with the ear of corn we eat. Even now, we are about the business of transformation. Thich Nhat Hanh, world-renowned writer and spiritual leader and scholar and poet, peace activist, Buddhist monk, born in Vietnam in 1926, became a monk at the age of 16, founded a Buddhist learning center in South Vietnam in the 60s, came to America in the 60s to um, teach and to, um, to study at Princeton and Cornell. However, during the Vietnam War, he returned to his homeland and became a pioneer of engaged Buddhism, which combines contemplation and action. He founded a peace magazine, worked for reconciliation between North and South Vietnam, lobbied world leaders to put an end to the conflict, set up relief organizations to rebuild destroyed villages, and started a school for troubled youth. When he was 40, Thich Nhat Hanh was banned from Vietnam by both the communist and non-communist governments for his role in undermining the war effort and speaking out against violence. Into the 70s, he was still involved with rescuing folks who were trying to escape political oppression in Vietnam. He led a Buddhist delegation to the Paris Peace Talks that helped establish a new relationship between Vietnam and the U.S. And in 1982, as many of you probably know, in um, South France, southwest France, he started a, a, a monastery, a retreat center called Plum Village, and he conducts retreats around the world. We're going to have a good time with this mystic this month. And one reason I have come to know Thich Nhat Hanh, I've read a lot of his stuff, is because of his idea of interbeing. Interbeing. He writes this. If you're a poet, you will see clearly that there is a cloud floating in this piece of paper. Without a cloud, there would be no rain. Without rain, trees could not grow. Without trees, we cannot make paper. The cloud is essential for the paper to exist. If the cloud is not here, the sheet of paper is not here. So we can say that the cloud and the paper enter are. Interbeing is a word that is not in the dictionary yet, but if we combine the, in, the prefix enter with the verb to be, we have a new verb, interbe. Without a cloud, we can't have paper, so we can say that the cloud and the sheet of paper enter are. But look into the paper more deeply. If we look into the sheet of paper even more deeply, we can see the sunshine in it. If the sunshine isn't there, the forest cannot grow. In fact, nothing can grow. Even we can't grow without sunshine. And so we know that sunshine is also in this sheet of paper. The paper and the sunshine enter are. And if we continue to look, we can see the logger who cut the tree and brought it to the mill to be transformed into paper. And we see the wheat 
We know the logger can't exist without his daily bread. And therefore, the wheat that became his bread is also in this sheet of paper. And the logger's father and mother, too. They're there. When we look at it this way, we see without all these things, this sheet of paper cannot exist. I think we can all agree that this kind of thinking is important in our time. Such thinking re-enchants our lives, brings mystery to the forefront of our lives, brings magic to something as simple as a piece of paper or a face or a leaf or a stalk of corn. Magic and enchantment are keys to the kingdom. Now, Thich Nhat Hanh obviously is a Buddhist, but he writes about Jesus and the power of Jesus in profound, helpful, powerful ways. So much is he a translator of the way of Jesus, about whom he said that Jesus is a Western Buddha. So much is he so that when he met Thomas Merton, the Catholic monk, in the 1960s, Merton said, Thich Nhat Hanh is my brother. We see things exactly the same way. We have more in common than I have with my fellow Americans, by which I think he meant his fellow Christians. Merton wrote, I have said that Thich Nhat Hanh is my brother, and it's true. We are both monks. We have lived the monastic life about the same number of years. We are both poets. I have far more in common with him than I have with many Americans, and I do not hesitate to say it. It is vitally important that such bonds be admitted. They are the bonds of a new solidarity, a new brotherhood, which is beginning to be evident on all five continents and which cuts across all political, religious, and cultural lines to unite young men and women in every country in something that is more concrete than an ideal and more important than a program. This unity is the only hope of the world. This unity is the only hope of the world. In its name, I appeal for Thich Nhat Hanh. Do what you can for him. When Dr. King and Thich Nhat Hanh met, King was moved. Thich Nhat Hanh was moved. Thich Nhat Hanh called King a bodhisattva. Is that how you say it? Thank you. Called him that. And, <laughs> and King nominated him for the Nobel Prize. Peace Prize. They were brothers. And Thich Nhat Hanh is clear in lifting up the idea that Jesus and Buddha were brothers. He sees in Jesus a Western Buddha. When in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, pleading for peace, pleading for nonviolence, pleading not to put your confidence in the material things of this world, but in the spirit that animates your life. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And if you lead a healthy light, you'll be full of light. And when Jesus says, look at the birds, do they worry and fret? Do they compare themselves to one another and say, look how great my nest is compared to yours? You slacker bird. 
No. They go about the work of getting bread for the babies and for themselves, and they put away their worry. And when he says all this, and he comes to the natural conclusion, therefore, therefore, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have stuff that will come to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Each day is its own gift. When Jesus says all of that, Thich Nhat Hanh rightfully sees a Buddha. He sees that they are brothers, the Buddha and Jesus. He sees the Buddhist idea of being present in each moment in Jesus. All over the Christian idea of seeking the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God about? Mindfulness. And how do you get there? Practice. His disciples looked at him. And they said to him, On what day will the kingdom come? And Jesus says, It won't come when people look for it. When they watch for it. They'll not say, Oh look, it's over here. Or look, it's over there. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love, the beloved community is spread out over the earth and men and women don't see it. What enables us to see it? Mindfulness. The practice of showing up and being present. What's more important than our ideas and our conceptions, and our categories, and all the things we do because we're humans and like to categorize things. All those ideas, more important than them, what does he say is important? Practice. Practice. Praying, meditating, getting back to our breath, being fully present in each moment. An interviewer asked Thich Nhat Hanh, do you meditate? Do you sit? And he says, yes, I meditate every day, sometimes alone, sometimes with others. I walk every day, sometimes alone, sometimes with others. And I have that practice. But it's not just that I meditate every day. I try to meditate in every single moment. If I am late for a meeting, I try to return to my breathing. And I try to be fully present and at peace. The kingdom of God is available in the here and now. But the great question about the kingdom of God is, are you available to it? It's available to you. Are you available to it? Our practice exists to make ourselves ready for the kingdom so it can manifest through us and in us and out of us in the here and now. You don't need to die in order to enter the kingdom. In fact, you have to be truly alive in order to do so. So Jesus says to his disciples, look, if your leaders say the kingdom of God is in the air, it's in the sky, the birds will beat you to it. If they say it's in the sea, the fishes will get there before you do. Rather, the kingdom is within you 
and it's outside of you, it's all around you, and you are its venue. This is all Buddhist stuff. It's all Christian stuff. They're not one and the same. They have different approaches. But our practice of prayer, our practice of meditation, our being present makes that Christianity come to life, makes that Buddhism come to life. Recently, I tried with something. I tried with somebody. Something that Thich Nhat Hanh recommends to bring that kingdom of God, that kingdom of love to life. I tried it. It was simple, but it was profound and it worked. Someone was in front of me, troubled, suffering, hurting, confused. And this is what Thich Nhat Hanh recommends. And this is what I did. A simple mantra to return to when somebody you love is suffering. Number one, you say, darling, I'm here for you. Brother, I'm here for you. Sister, I'm here for you. Friend, I'm here for you. The great gift is your presence. So you start with, I am here for you. And then you say, I know you are there. I see you. I am happy you are there. You are precious to me. Do you know what a gift it would be for somebody to hear you say, you are precious to me, I see you? Do you know how rare that is in this world? Even with, like, I've been married almost 20 years. I probably haven't said that to my wife in a good long time. I need to say that to her. Right? And the kids. And then you say, darling, I know you suffer. That is why I'm here for you. Friend, I see that you're suffering. That is why I've shown up here. That is why I'm here for you. And then the last one. Friend, darling, I suffer too. I suffer too. I am trying my best. Please help me. I'll be back September 23rd. We'll continue this. Blessings to you. Continue blessing the world. So glad to be with you.